fighting for freedom every day. Republicans right now, the conservatives, which unfortunately, this is what we have to do every time, even after a vote where people are sick and tired of the establishment, they're sick and tired of the squeezy, middle-of-the-road, squishy kind of Republican rhinos, and we vote conservatives in, then we have to fight tooth and nail in D.C. to actually be heard within the Republican Party. This is the Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Yes, indeed it is. What's up? Welcome into it. It is a post-Monday celebration, and man, the anxiety that we've had to go through for the last hour, hour and a half, watching all the shenanigans play out, my friends. It's time for us to take a break, shall we? Can we take a breath here for just a moment? We are on the cusp, my friends. I told you, Mark 2023, we are in territory we've never been in before. We are in historical times, and it proves itself each and every day just when you can't think that the world gets even more crazy. Welcome again. Hey, COVID-19 in 2020, hold my beer or Alka-Seltzer or whatever else that we have in the world today. Welcome into it. This is The Voice Reason. I'm Andy Hoosier, broadcasting live out of the heart of the nation here in Wichita, Kansas, on our flagship radio station on the Big Talker KQM out of Wichita, Kansas, where we're hailing from all over the country, multiple radio stations, TV, live streaming, podcasting, and however else we do it. Welcome aboard. You're a millennial general reporting for duty. So, uh, sorry, minutes, seconds going into the program. I'm trying to compile everything because if you are not aware of what just happened, literally minutes before we went on the air, let's do this thing. What's trending today? I I love this. I have to admit that between the votes that happened over the weekend and then today, we are on the cusp and this program has been at the right time, at the right place, at the right moment for two big events in a row where we're the first ones to be able to cover this stuff and I absolutely love it. So literally just minutes ago, In Washington, D.C., in the House of Representatives, the House of Representatives has officially voted 216 to 210 to oust Kevin McCarthy as Speaker of the House. We now have a vacant speakership in the House as they have officially taken a recess now to reconvene among their own chambers and decide what the next steps are because we don't know what to do. Pursuant to Clause 8B3 of Rule 1, I'll now now act as Speaker pro tem. The chair will inform the members of the House the following. The office of the Speaker was rendered vacant pursuant to the adoption of House Resolution 757. Upon a vacancy in the office of Speaker, Clause 8B3 of Rule 1 provides that the next member on a list submitted by the Speaker pursuant to the rule acts as Speaker pro tem until the election of a new Speaker and bestows the authorities of the office of Speaker upon the Speaker pro tem to the extent necessary and appropriate to that end. In the opinion of the chair, prior to proceeding to the election of a speaker, it would be prudent to first recess for the relative caucus and conferences to meet and discuss the path forward. Accordingly, pursuant to Clause 12A of Rule 1, the chair declares the House in recess subject to the call of the chair. There it is. All right. So that was Congressman Patrick McHenry. He's Congressman from the state of North Carolina taking the pro tem speakership until We decide what to do, and uh, wow, there it is. Something that's never been done before, a 216 to 210 vote. Now, I pre-warn you that I was working on pulling the audio as this is going on, and I haven't had time to edit a lot of this because it happened right down to the wire, but it was fascinating watching some of the conversation, the back and forth between um, Matt Gates, who obviously proposed this ousting of Kevin McCarthy because of his vendetta with him, and I'll I'll tell you right up front, what he said, I agree with. The stances that Matt Gates has taken on this issue, I agree with. 
he's tired of the corruption in D.C. He's tired of the same old, same old. He's tired of the way Kevin McCarthy has wavered. He's tired of how Kevin McCarthy attacked conservatives during this process for the continuing resolution, saying that if you don't vote for the bill that was on Friday that had passed through the Senate side uh, for the continuing resolution or stopgap funding bill, that if you don't pass that one, then you somehow are a conservative that supports Joe Biden and supports open border policy, when obviously that's not the case whatsoever. All of the points that Matt Gates has made during this conversation make sense. I agree with them, and he's justified in the way he feels. That being said... We are now thrown in an uncharted territory where Democrats were the ones that voted with a few Republican conservatives to oust Kevin McCarthy. And without conservatives uniting as a majority of the Republican Party, the question I ask now is, who are we going to have as a replacement for the speaker? Because right now, we don't have enough conservatives to put a more conservative speaker in than Kevin McCarthy. Was Kevin McCarthy the best choice? No. Was Kevin McCarthy deserving of it because he had put in his time? No. Was Kevin McCarthy the best leader that we could have had? No. But who else do we have? He was a moderate Republican from California that was kind of sort of working along with Republicans to get things done. And now, with Democrats giddy and excited while they were sitting in the back corner just watching Republicans beat each other up, and Kevin McCarthy, according to news before the vote, saying that he was not going to try to make a deal with Democrats to save his speakership, they're now looking for themselves to have a Democrat leader. And I am concerned that we're going to get a Democrat leader. Someone that's more progressive as the Speaker of the House than what Kevin McCarthy was. So the question is, is that worth it? Because, well, at least they'll have a D in front of their name, so we'll know where we stand. Or are we going to do ourselves damage because what little bit, and I say little is in like 5 or 6% of what we actually wanted, the little bit that we've gained was it because of Speaker McCarthy and the Republicans trying to at least try to unite together just a little bit. But one of the shortest reigns as Speaker of the House, Kevin McCarthy, after, oh, I don't know, 9, 10 months, we're officially out, finito, over, and it's fascinating to actually watch this. This was Ashley Hinson from the state of Iowa early on in the debate on whether uh, McCarthy should stay in office or not. Rise today in support of our speaker, Kevin McCarthy. Let's be very clear here. We would not have a House Republican majority without the relentless efforts of this man, our speaker. Under his leadership, Joe Biden's policies have had a check and balance. His policies have created a horrific border crisis, 10,000 illegal immigrants a day surging across our border. Under Speaker McCarthy, Republicans have passed legislation to secure our border. Joe Biden has done everything to squash American energy, selling our oil reserves to China. Under Speaker McCarthy, Republicans have passed legislation to unleash American energy dominance. Joe Biden has spent taxpayer dollars like there's no tomorrow. Under Speaker McCarthy, we have returned to passing single subject appropriations bills and ending the status quo of omnibus spending. One of them. All right, that was uh, again. That was uh, again Ashley Hinson. That was from C-SPAN as they were covering this stuff live just a little bit ago. I, I would counter some of that and say I don't know where I've necessarily seen that. We've passed, as far as I'm aware, like one or two single-item bills, which was one of the arguments from Matt Gates. We're tired of the omnibus packages, trying to cram everything together. We did that at the very beginning, like the weeks after Kevin McCarthy or days after Kevin McCarthy became Speaker of the House, when. He said he was going to be beholden by Republicans where we tried to pass an impeachment bill on Joe Biden, where we tried to pass a women's bill of rights in the House of Representatives. And they were single item, like one page bills that try and not uh, do the funding for the IRS. We did those. 
After the first week or so, though, I don't remember where many of those happened. Maybe they have, maybe just didn't make the news. I'm not quite sure. So the stance really between the pro and the anti-Kevin McCarthy advocates was the pro was he's been able to slowly start turning things around and we need more time and we have to unify as Republicans. The opposition from the conservatives, at least, was that we're not doing that. And Kevin McCarthy actually hasn't been being held to it. And we actually want real change. The signal is for $33 trillion in debt facing $2.2 trillion annual deficits. And our fellow Americans may be watching, wondering, how does that happen? How does the greatest country in the world have a process so broken that it would be laughed out of the rooms in the halls of the state legislatures where many of us come from? Here's how it works. The law says we're supposed to have the very single subject spending bills that my colleague referenced in the summer. That we're supposed to have that and move it. But there's a dirty little secret in this town. And that is if you delay, if you hold the bills, if you make multiple contradictory promises as Speaker McCarthy has done, and you back everybody up against shut down politics, well, Nobody wants to shut the government down. No one cheers for a shutdown. And of course, when people are backed up against shutdown politics, the decision calculus changes. So year after year, decade after decade, we break the law and we do the same thing. That was Matt Gates during the rebuttal. So the way this process worked, if you didn't pay attention to it, was that there was the obvious two sides. They did the hour-long debate. Matt Gates was the only one speaking for the anti-Kevin uh, McCarthy side. And usually they sit on each side of the House, depending on what political party usually is that you stand on, and then you end up debating. The entire Democrat caucus was on the side with Matt Gates, which was a little bit weird to watch as I was watching Ilhan Omar stand right or sit right behind Matt Gates and watching him speak the entire time, while the Republican caucus was deferring to person after person after person after person. And the majority of the Republicans ended up voting against the removal of Speaker of the House Kevin McCarthy, realizing what they say was either the fact that this is the best we're going to get or that Kevin McCarthy has actually done a relatively good job. With the conservative hardliners, I use the hardliners as the name for the, uh, according to the, what the mainstream media is calling us, they're not hardliners, they're just conservatives that are willing to fight for their values. Look, everything that Matt Gates just said in that audio clip, I 110% believe in. I believe the government deserves to have their credit rating lowered because of the amount of debt that we're in, sitting at 130 140% of our GDP, when it's supposed to be only 30 or 40%. I believe the government should shut down unless they actually have all the 12 appropriations bills by the time September 30th rolls around, because we didn't do our damn job for an entire year to do our audits of the government to see how much money needs to go where. I believe that the government needs to be held accountable for not doing the job that they're supposed to be doing and getting our spending under control in a rational way. I also believe that we need to open up conversation to not just discretionary spending that's only about 30 to 35% of our entire federal budget now, which is, by the way, what we're squabbling over to shut down the government or not shut down the government, but we need to open up conversation for the entire federal budget, including mandatory spending, and put massive freezes on the growth of all these social programs. All of that needs to happen, and it needs to happen now. No more 10-year long-term plans by the time when the politician comes out that, oh, sorry, we can't do that anymore. We're just going to do a different path. No more long-term, slowly, incremental. It needs to happen now. I understand that. And while I understand that, I also ask the question to Matt Gates: who are we going to put in place 
that's willing to do that? And who are we going to put up that's going to get enough votes from both sides of the aisle in order to make that happen? Because right now, while I understand the frustration, I don't know who's going to be that replacement. I don't think Republicans know who that replacement's going to be. I don't know if Democrats know who that place, uh, the replacement's going to be. Because they have their own ideas. If you've noticed, Democrats have been silent this entire conversation. They've been silent for the last weeks with talking about this. They haven't partnered with Kevin McCarthy. They haven't come up with an alternative plan. They've been sitting back silently. And just like the kids at home, when they're really, really quiet, that's when you probably should be more nervous than anything else because you don't know what they're up to. Democrats have a plan. And obviously, it's easier to win over rhino, moderate, hack, pretend Republicans to side with moderate Democrats, and I use moderate in air quotes here, than it is to get moderate Democrats to work with Republicans. And even with a Republican majority in the House of Representatives right now, um, that doesn't mean that we're all going to unite because obviously the caucus is broken. We have a few hardline, again, air quotes, hardliner conservative Republicans that want drastic change and are willing to fight for that. And God bless them. I tip my hat to you because I understand exactly what you're trying to do. But do you have enough numbers to actually pull it off and make a difference? Or are you going to hurt the agenda by moving further in the opposite direction because we don't have enough votes to actually solidify and get everybody else on board to do the right thing? That's the concern. That's the question. And now we're up in the air. And for the first time, we see a speaker after nine, 10 months actually be ousted after 15 votes to get him in in the first place. And now we're up in the air on what we're going to see moving forward. Interesting times indeed. Mark another history check mark for 2023. This is the Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Fighting for freedom every day. This is the Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. How many of us came here because we thought this job was going to be easy? How many of us thought the task ahead of us to address the problems of this country was going to be easy? One thing we did know is that if we were going to finally start confronting problems that had been ignored for years and years and years, we had to change the way that this place worked. And one thing Speaker McCarthy embraced from day one is to start making those kind of changes to this institution. Now, Steve Scalise, the House Majority Leader, who is essentially, or at least was, right underneath Kevin McCarthy and one of the biggest advocates for McCarthy, I don't know that changes have been necessarily made, maybe some minor ones. And for Congress, maybe that's a big step. For the general population, maybe that's not enough, and that's why so many people are frustrated because they want the change and they want it right now. I think there's an ongoing distrust with government, which is what we've seen with the latest polls, and that's why people either want the change right now or to overturn the tables. And I think that's where Matt Gates and so many of the conservatives are feeling right now, that no, we don't need to expand the budget while we continue to say we're steering course here. That's not the way things work. Again, I understand all of the arguments for the conservatives, and I pat them on the back for standing on virtue and finally shaking things up a little bit in D.C., and trying it. The problem is, is that if we do it, can we at least do it when we're prepared to actually move the dial further to the right? Because I don't know that right now we're able to do that. Kevin McCarthy officially out. 216 to 210 votes. It just happened less than an hour ago. So now the question is, what happens while Congress is in 
a limbo. They go back to their chambers for a recess to figure out what the next step is. We have the pro tem, which is Patrick McHenry, uh, Patrick McHenry, the congressman from the state of North Carolina. And he had some interesting conversation uh, later on as well. I will say something about Steve Scalise, though, is that Scalise is very optimistic. I've been a big fan of his. He's been on the program once or twice before. And what he says is solid. He's one that could be a very good speaker if, if he was willing for it. I don't think he's up for the job, though. He's openly said he didn't want it because he felt that uh, Kevin McCarthy should be in that position. So now that this is done, would Steve Scalise be the great speaker? And if so, I believe that he would be a conservative to get something done. But the question is, again, will there be enough votes to make that happen? You know that all of the Democrats will not vote for a Republican. They will vote for their own candidate. And if that's the case then will Republicans unite to get a candidate and will it be better or will it be worse than the current one or at least the former one now that was Kevin McCarthy? This has been a broken process for a long time, but it's a process where we, if we're going to confront the problems that families are facing, because right now we need to resolve our differences inside this House chamber before we can then go and fight for those families who are struggling. But every single day across America, families are struggling with real problems that we're going to have to get back to solving. Yeah, that was kind of, uh, Steve Scalise again. Here's one thing, and here's the positive side. You know me. I'm always the positive guy, the, the eternal optimist. Sometimes it's good to just clear the air, right? Sometimes in a relationship, it's good for the man and woman for to just yell it out, to get out their frustrations, what they've been holding back, what they've just been suppressing. Sometimes it's good for them to get it all out on the table, understand where each other's coming from, and then be able to move forward better. That's how you have a strong relationship is being able to communicate. And sometimes it's through talking, sometimes it's through yelling, but sometimes you just have to relieve that frustration. Sometimes you just have to get out of the clutter. And while the Republican Party's broken, and I hate kind of exposing our dirty laundry to the world as a Republican Party, we're also very transparent. And sometimes it's good to get it all out. And if the caucus is having an issue with the direction we're going, then you know what? Let's get it out on the table and let's figure it out. If we go backwards, then you know what? We're going to have a lot harder chance of actually getting the agenda done. The little tiny bit that we've been able to anyways, it's going to be a lot tougher for conservatives and Republicans to get something done. And I'm not very optimistic about the federal budget in November when we get to that point, nor the presidential election of 2024 and all the congressional races that Republicans have moving forward. But if we go stronger, maybe this is the sign for us to move forward in a better unified message. Who knows? You could surprise me right now, though. I'm having a hard time believing it. This is The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. When Reason Meets Radio, this is The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. With the narrowest Republican majority in a generation, what do we achieve? We brought the president to the table when he stubbornly said for 100 days they would not negotiate on the debt ceiling. I took him his word. The speaker said, no, we'll get him to the table. And sure enough, we did. The result, the most conservative spending package we've seen in generations, the largest spending cuts year over year that any Congress has passed, conservative outcomes. So I understand your position on the left. I understand that. But my friends on the right, why? 
That was, uh, con- uh, that was, again, Congressman Patrick McHenry. He's now the pro tem speaker after the ousting of Kevin McCarthy just a little bit ago. As he says, we, I, don't know, I don't know where he's getting that information. We passed the most conservative spending. It got some, you know, really? We went through, uh, Kevin McCarthy had a great bill again in April, May, when we had the debt ceiling issue. And then what did we do? We ended up throwing that away and passing a bill that raised our debt ceiling $2 trillion. That's with a T. Yes, you heard that right. $2 trillion this year, which is now the new norm of what we were spending during the COVID-19 pandemic and all the bailouts. And then next year for 2025's federal budget, another $2 trillion. So I'm not quite sure where he gets the whole concept of the most conservative bills out there, because that's not the case. But... I don't know where we go from now. Now we are a vacant Speaker of the House. Kevin McCarthy is out, and uh, both uh, parties are now convening to see what they're going to do moving forward after this bill, after the continuing resolution that is now in jeopardy that's going into the middle of November. Let's get into our What's Trending elsewhere as well. What's trending today? To talk about some of this and so much more on what got us here. The debt that we have as a nation, not just from the government, but from the private consumers as well. And where are we moving forward with our economy and the uncertainty? I told you, Markdown 2023 is a historical time in, in, in human history, really, because for the first time ever, we've now ousted a speaker after only nine months or so in the speakership. And it's going to be interesting to see where we go from here. Happy to have on the program. He is author of his latest book, The Paradox of Debt, A New Path to Prosperity Without Crises. Happy to have on here Richard Vague with us. Richard, how are you, my friend? Uh, I'm well. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, excited to have you on here. Before we get into the book and the debt, any thoughts? I mean, just, I mean, literally within a half hour ago, we've seen now for the first time ever, Speaker of the House Kevin McCarthy ousted largely because... Matt Gates and other conservatives uh, were tired of the budget plans that we've had, the continuing resolution that we passed because we can't pass, apparently, the 12 appropriations bills in Congress and the spending habits that we've gone down, and they want a change. Do you think that's going to help or hurt us in the end of the day? It's chaos. It's uh, it's hard to say whether it helped or hurt, but, you know, the general public has lost a lot of confidence in Congress and I don't think this helps that. <laughs> that is very true. The last budget, which this budget they're working on now for 2024, includes the raising of the debt ceiling that the government passed back in June, which, as I mentioned, raises it up $2 trillion, which is the new norm, I guess, of what we were spending during the COVID-19 pandemic with all the bailouts, all the unemployment checks, all of the PPP loans, everything we were doing during the COVID pandemic, that's now our new level of regular spending in this nation. We're already sitting between 32 to $34 trillion at a federal level. Uh, Richard, as we try and figure out a way to get this country back on track, how sustainable is that right now in the nation, do you think? Well, I, I would first say that the bigger issue is private sector debt. Most, most folks don't focus on that, but private debt, which is business plus personal debt, is actually 42 or $43 trillion. So it's the bigger issue. It's the one that has more consequence for economic outcomes. The other thing I would say, and, and folks tend not to focus on this, but in the pandemic, <clears throat> the federal debt increased by $8 trillion. That's a three-year period, 2021 and 22. It increased by $8 trillion. But at the very same time, in the very same three-year stretch, household wealth increased by $30 trillion. And one of the reasons that's true is that 
government spending doesn't disappear when it's spent. It actually goes into household checking accounts. So household checking accounts were $8 trillion heftier uh, at the end of that three period. And the and the debt that entered into the economy pushed up stock and real estate values by another $20 trillion. So you have that to consider when you consider government debt. Yeah, uh, it is a lot of money. It, it really is mind boggling and it kind of, you know, my, people's minds kind of blur over when we start talking about, you know, trillions and trillions of dollars. We can't really put that into perspective. On the private sector, with the amount of debt that we have in this nation, what is the number one? Is it credit cards? Is it student loans? Is it mortgages? Is it car payments? What right now on the personal side, the private sector, are we seeing the most amount of debt of right now? Well, we have about $42 trillion in debt, and that divides roughly in half between business debt and household debt. Mm. And on the household side, that's a little over $20 trillion in household debt. About $14 trillion of that is mortgage debt. And that's really consistently the number one source of debt on the household side. Credit cards are about a trillion, so a much smaller amount. Student debt is problematic as, as it is. is only about a trillion eight compared to that $14 trillion. So the, the real story on household debt is always centered around mortgage debt. Interesting. When we talk about, let's say, for example, student loan forgiveness, which is what the Biden administration has been trying to push right now, what would that do to the nation? Because everybody, at least that has a half a brain, understands that if we do a quote-unquote student loan forgiveness, we're not just erasing and wiping away debt. We're consuming it onto a private sector that the, that the private sector right now is paying, but the public sector will just consume, which would raise potentially inflation, that would raise taxes to try and cover some of this stuff. Would that actually help? society? Or again, would that hurt us by absorbing that more into just the common welfare to take care of? Well, student debt is a problem. And, you know, I've gone around the country and talked to households about a variety of financial issues, and I've been stunned at how consistently student debt ends up as high on people's list of concerns. And it's not just 20 and 30-year-olds. You know, we consistently came across folks at 40 and 50 and 60 and 70 years old that were still struggling with uh, debt. So, yeah, there there is a benefit that could be had by wiping out student debt. However, it's unrealistic. You know, it's it's and it's there's an a huge element of unfairness in that. So, you know, you have two folks and person A worked hard, took extra jobs you know, paid off their student debt in 10 years. Person B made minimum payments and still has almost all of their student debt still outstanding. If we forgave it, it's really unfair to person A who was the diligent person. So, you know, we weren't in favor of that program. However, the issue of helping folks get to a a clean slate of debt I think it is a desirable uh, outcome. And we've proposed a program in this book that that uh, lets folks do an extensive amount of community service as a way uh, to ameliorate uh, their student debt, just as one idea. Yeah, very interesting. We're talking with Richard Vag, author of the book, The Paradox of Debt. You can find his website at richardvague, that's V-A-G-U-E.com. You can also find his book on Amazon, other places as well, The Paradox of Debt. The argument that some have 
with that student loan debt is like you said, if we wipe it away, then they have more expendable cash to invest in the economy that would boost the GDP, boost the economy because they could spend more in the private sector. And I guess the big question that would, I guess someone would have to sit down and look at is if they went down that road, how much money would be invested into the private economy by expenditure, by having expendable cash compared to what the inflation and higher taxes may look like to compensate for that money being absorbed into the federal government. And I don't know that number, but I, I, I don't think that it's very equal right now. Well, there's a lot of folks that, that say student debt spending would exacerbate inflation. You know, I've studied uh, inflation over the 250 years that this country's been around. I've studied it across the globe. I don't think spending ever has that much to do with causing inflation. Inflation is normally a function of depleted or constrained supplies. You know, in the 70s, it was OPEC who shut down and made us all suffer because they had a stranglehold on supply. Our most recent inflation is really a function of, you know, the decimation of supplies that came from COVID. And now the war in Ukraine, which has pushed up the price of so many commodities, oil, wheat being the two most prominent. You know, that's not a function of, you know, student debt folks spending more money. That's a function of Saudi Arabia and Russia conspiring to constrain the supply of oil. Yeah. That is very true. Richard, we got just about a minute left here before we got to let you go and go to a break. But uh, this fascination to have to live in debt, the keeping up with the Joneses, have to have that big mortgage, have to have the big car payment, the credit cards to use to try and build your credit score. Do you think that people are waking up and saying, maybe I should be a little bit more financially independent by getting rid of that? Or do you think it's going to be here to stay for a while? Well, it's been pretty flat for the last few years. So I think there is a little bit of a conservatism at the moment. Uh, and I think it's appropriate. You know, I think if folks are a little bit chastened and, you know, we think borrowing for a mortgage, if you pay a decent price for a home and don't overpay is a real avenue to wealth creation. However, spending money to get a flat screen TV or take a vacation to Bora Bora is really, I think shows uh, an inappropriate use of debt. So, <laughs> A little bit more conservatism there, I think, is a good thing. It's always a good thing. That's right. Trying to get and clean up some of our finances, both at the personal level, the business level, and like you said, tiering all the way up to the federal government as well. The Paradox of Deck, go and check it out on Amazon. Also find the, on the website at richardvague.com. Richard, we appreciate the time very much, my friend. Good luck with the book. We'd love to chat with you again here soon. Bye-bye. Hey, appreciate it very much. All right, got to take a break. One more segment around the corner. We'll continue with our con uh, conversation and coverage of the ousting of Kevin McCarthy. Lots more coming up. This is The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Fighting for freedom every day. The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. I rise today in support of Speaker Kevin McCarthy. Under his leadership and a very small five-seat majority, 
House Republicans have achieved, contrary to popular belief, numerous victories. We passed the Parents' Bill of Rights, the Lower Energy Costs Act to lower the cost of gasoline and restore American energy independence. The Fiscal Responsibility Act, which was one of the largest enacted cuts with enforceable spending caps in American history. And H.R. 2, the most conservative southern border security bill history in history. All of this while fully funding our military and our nation's veterans. Let me be abundantly clear. Attempting to remove Speaker McCarthy will put this House in a stalemate and paralyze our ability to fight for our constituents and instead create a fight amongst one another. All right, that again was Congressman Stephanie Bice. That was from the state of Oklahoma. You know, here's the thing. Republicans always seem to miss the opportunity. And I understand, again, the frustration of conservatives, Matt Gates, of what they're trying to do. But you would think it would be a very easy job for the House of Representatives right now, especially with a Republican majority, even if it's only five Republican majority seats above Democrats right now, you would think that there would actually be an opportunity. Knowing the Democrats own the Senate and going into a major election year, this is the year where Republicans... Moderates and conservatives alike would be able to ram through every Republican agenda coming through the House of Representatives to say that they've done something to get it to the Senate side and for the Senate to not actually let it go through because, well, there's a Democrat majority and they would stop all of it. They would stop every one of those bills. So then Republicans can go back to the campaign trail and turn around and say, look, we tried to pass to seal the border. We tried to end the funding for the 88,000 IRS agents. We tried to actually get a 12 appropriations bill done. We tried to actually do spending cuts. We tried to reform the mandatory spending category of all these social programs. We tried to do everything we possibly could, and the Senate, the Democrats, wouldn't allow it. Now, that's some of the arguments that the moderate Democrat or the moderate Republicans who were supporting Kevin McCarthy in this process have been making, that it was the Senate's fault, that Joe Biden didn't come to the table and sit down with us. They've made those arguments, but those arguments would be more validated if we actually would pass them out of the House already with a Republican unified caucus. And unfortunately, Kevin McCarthy wasn't able to unify. Now, again, I say that with the grain of salt because the question is, who's going to replace Kevin McCarthy now? Because no one has an idea. In fact, bringing up uh, VOX.com, Vogue.com, they uh, the question is, and this is the headline off of Drudge Report, because no one has an idea. Who could be the next speaker? Ousting McCarthy as speaker likely won't bring it into the Republican infighting or a quick resolution, they say, to the ongoing budget negotiations. Scalise, the Republican majority leader, was the heir apparent to the speakership, but a cancer diagnosis could derail those plans. He did announce back in September that he has pursued an aggressive treatment for his multiple myeloma, which has significantly improved his long-term prognosis. Gates has said that he would support Scalise. Scalise was among multiple people who were injured with a gunman firing back in 2017. Uh, they also have the idea of a Democratic predecessor, Jim Clyburn. I was wondering who they'd put up for the Democrat side because now we get to go through an entirely new House speakership vote. And it would it be a new Democrat or would it be the Hakeem Jeffries, the radical socialist new Democrat face of the younger generation that they would try to put up all over again? But outside of Steve Scalise, there's no other apparent Republican voice that could unite the caucus. And again, while it's good to sometimes clear it out, get it out of our system, you know, badger each other, in order for us to do this better, and I really hope, but this is saying really hope in a very uh, limited fashion because Republicans are terrible at this, 
after we beat each other up like we just did with eight Republicans, a final vote, by the way, that 216 to 210 to oust Kevin McCarthy, that's with eight Republicans, enough to sway that with that five Republican majority. That was eight Republicans that ended up voting to oust him. Are we now able to unify as a party to actually find a good candidate and to move forward? And it sounds like the only possible unifying individual that's there that was a supporter of Kevin McCarthy is Steve Scalise. And I would be okay with Steve Scalise. I think a lot of Republicans would be okay with Steve Scalise, but outside of him, if he's not the candidate, I don't know who could do it. But Republicans have to unite. But what's the chances of a Republican Party that just went through a terrible attack from Kevin McCarthy, or from uh, Matt Gates and a few other conservatives? What's the chances of them piggybacking and partnering with them on another candidate? Or will they go with a Democrat? trying to find the moderate side and letting moderate Republicans and Democrats square it out to push us in the opposite direction. Oh, how the time will tell. And now we get to sit back and wait because there is no clear future for who's going to be leading the House of Representatives for the rest of 2023. Man, what a time to be alive, right? Mark it down in the history books, my friends. You heard it right here first. This is The Voice of Reason. I'm Andy Hoosier. Podcast up in just a little bit. Until then, be your own voice of reason. We'll see you on the radio tomorrow. Tomorrow.